Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon. How are you on this Tuesday, June 18th? We're coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the home of the Stanley Cup winning St. Louis. Oh, I got a Detroit Red Wings fan in here. Uh, the Stanley Cup winning uh, St. Louis Blues. And even though I am a Chicago Blackhawks fan by birth, I'm a long enough resident of St. Louis that I, I was cheering for the Blues. Well, Detroit let them use the cup this year. Detroit let me. Do, no, when was the last time the Detroit won the? Around. When was the last time Detroit won the cup? Well, Ninety-eight. Nine. Yeah, the Blackhawks <laughs> won yeah, three times in the last ten years. Okay. All right. <laughs> so glory days, glory days, right. Gloria, exactly. Gloria. I, I said oh, in my sermon Sunday, you know, the the Stanley, the uh, St. Louis Blues had their victory song, Gloria. They won a cup. We will win a crown. And we have a Gloria of our own that celebrates an even greater victory. Nicely done. Thank yeah, you. The yeah. victory that we have in Christ Jesus, our Savior. I'm your host for this program. I am Pastor Charles Henriksen, the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. And if you want to find out more about St. Matthew's in Bonterre, go to our website, stmatthewbt.org. And in the studio with me today are two guests who've been on here before, that Detroit Red Wings uh fan and former Yay! standout goalie himself uh Mark Sell is here in the in the house how are you doing today Mark I'm doing really well it's good to see you Charles good and you are the pastor where of our savior lutheran church in Fenton Missouri it's southwest corner of St. Louis St. Louis County yeah, right on 141 and 30 if you head that way stop in and visit us we have a, you have a uh, school too yeah we have a great school it's doing exceptionally well we we have um, <clears throat> we have uh, educational program for two year olds all the way through eighth grade. And is there a website where people can go to find out more about our Savior in Fenton? Our Savior L C S dot org. Our Savior L C S. L C S for Lutheran Church and School. Right. Our Savior L C S dot org. And uh, we're st- we still have uh, a few openings in a couple of our preschool. Uh, classes uh, those that has been filling up pretty quickly, and um, this year we are extending back into the eighth grade, so we're going to have right. quite a large class there. So it's exciting. And then also in the studio today we have another guest who's been on here before, Pastor Steve Reardon, the pastor of where. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood. And you have a web presence. I do. It is St. Paul's Lutheran Church Wildwood dot com. Good. And Wildwood is West County, as we say around here. It is. We're out by Babbler State Park. Good. And sometimes called Wildwood, sometimes called Grover. Sometimes called Glencoe. Glencoe. Yeah, Yeah, that area. Orville, if you go way back. That is going way back. (laughs) Now, Steve, where did you grow up? 
I grew up in St. Louis. I have been with God's hockey team from the beginning. From the beginning. Okay. Oh, you're a Red Wing fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. But you did right. spend some years in my hometown of Chicago. I did. I did. And I adopted the Blackhawks for a while, I have to admit, you yeah. know, because it was nice to have hockey up there. And the Blues weren't doing anything at the time. Yeah. And, and when I was up there, the Blackhawks were winning. So it was kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, probably about. 10, 12 years ago, uh, Red Wings played the Blues and was in a playoff series. And I was doing the PhD work here in St. Louis. I'd come down for a month and um, and was just at the edge <clears throat> of the playoffs. And it was just an incredible series. It was wonderful. Well, of course, I have to go to the local sports bar <laughs> in my Red Wing jersey, oh, surrounded okay. by blue, and got harassed the whole night. But, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot you of know, fun. They had, people how, how many hundreds of thousands of people did they have for the parade and the rally here? Oh, it was about half a million. It was and I heard there crazy. were no arrests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I heard as well. It was, it was massive. They had no. a lot of fun, but no crime. Well, coming from Detroit, we wondered, but how did they stay warm without burning cars? <laughs> but anyway, that's... All right, well, let's get to our sorry. topic of the day. A little Detroit sorry humor that, there, folks. sorry. All right, so today we're going to be talking about the uh, doctrine and practice of repentance from the small cult articles in the Lutheran Confessions. This program, Concord Matters, is not about hockey. It is about uh, what our churches, the Lutheran Church, believes, teaches, and confesses on the basis of God's holy word. And our uh, confessional documents are contained in a book called the Book of Concord, the Book of Agreement, if you might say. So uh, we're working our way through that. If you'd like to uh, participate in our program today with your comments or questions, we have a toll-free number here in the United States, and that number is 800 730 2727 again 800 730 2727 and locally here in St. Louis the area code is 314 8210850 again 314 8210850 and you can also email us your comments or questions that email address is kfuo at kfuo.org all right, let's get into our topic today, uh, boys. We're in the small called articles. Why are they so called small called? Anybody, anybody remember that from your uh, confessions class at SEM? Why, why the term small called? It has Maybe to as a town in Germany. Town in Germany, and uh, there were the. This is we're moving through the Reformation time here, and we're up to uh, 1537. 1537. And uh, Luther is asked by these princes and rulers of these of this Schmalkaldic League, this sort of mutual defense league, to write up um, a series of articles on what our churches believe, teach, and confess. So this is Luther's uh, take on it. You know, we've already had the Augsburg Confession and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. So this is Luther putting his hand to the work, and we call this the Schmalkald Articles, and they are one of the confessional documents in our Book of Concord. Now, in this section, uh, the, the, the articles are divided into different parts. Part 3 we're in, and so it's now Article 3 on Repentance. And if you have the Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord, uh, you can find it there. If you have another edition of the Book of Concord, or even you go to bookofconcord.org, you can follow along there. Now, our panel last week uh, broached the article. They got into it a little bit, but I want to just review that briefly to start out. And these first three short paragraphs um, don't take long, but they say a lot here about the role of the law. 
God's law because that was the article that preceded this. And so I'll just quickly read article uh, paragraphs one through three, which were covered last week, but I'll just ask our guests if they have any comments on these first three articles on the role of God's law. The New Testament keeps and urges this office of the law, as St. Paul does when he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, Romans 1.18. Also, the whole world may be accountable to God. No human being will be justified in his sight, Romans 3.19 and 20. And, Christ says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, John 16, verse 8. This is God's thunderbolt. By the law, he strikes down both obvious sinners and false saints. He declares no one to be in the right, but drives them all together to terror and despair. This is the hammer. As Jeremiah says, is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Jeremiah 23, verse 29. This is not active contrition or manufactured repentance. It is passive contrition, true sorrow of heart, suffering, and the sensation of death. This is what true repentance means. Here a person needs to hear something like this. You are all of no account, whether you are obvious sinners or saints in your own opinions. You have to become different from what you are now. You have to act differently than you are now acting, whether you are as great, wise, powerful, and holy as you can be. Here, no one is godly. I think those are three powerful paragraphs there. What is what is Luther here meaning by God's thunderbolt or God's hammer? Uh, I think he's referencing, obviously, he makes mention of it, the passages in Jeremiah chapter 23. And he's talking what is necessary in order to break through our hard-hearted and hard-headed personalities as sinners. You know, to recognize the fact that we are sinners. Yeah, and and he uses his word, the law in particular, to do just that. I think the hammer example from Jeremiah is a great example. You know, our hearts are so hard because of sin that we need something to crush it. And that's what the word he talks about here: passive contrition. Right. Any idea, either of you, on what what he's meaning by that? That this is true passive contrition, not some manufactured contrition that we make up. Well, I think it's it, uh, the imagery of a rock. Uh, just laying there, and all of a sudden you just get completely hammered by the sledgehammer that's pounding on you and destroying you. It is, <clears throat> it's not a contrived sense of, well, let's see, what should I feel sorry for today? Well, maybe I'll feel bad about that one. Well, didn't get caught, so I'll go on to another sin. But maybe God is actively hammering but, but you with his law. The law of God, and I think it's something that is really missing in so much preaching today, is this realistic and dynamic notion of the condemnation of the sinner, that you are getting the garbage beaten out of you. You are being crushed by the law of God because you've come to a realization. I, I, it's, please let it, it's got to let up sometime. Because, because it never stops pounding on you. That is the, the understanding of God's law condemning us as sinners. Because as sinners, then, we've come, we then realize how important it is that there is a pure 
true God, who's true man, who died for our sins. So, <clears throat> so this sense of preaching, I've had, um, I think, 17 seminary students, and it's always interesting. Their second year, they finally get to preach. And it's always interesting because out of all those seminary students that I've had, only two have gotten condemn, con- condemnation of sin right in their first sermons that they hand in. Um, and and uh, and I take them through it every every time every year, uh, because your your goal is not to get the person to be a better Christian or to live right. Your goal is first to condemn sin. And we want and they young men want to be friendly with the people, right? And they want to get along with friends, their people there, and be nice guys. Well, I want people to like me if I say that. Won't they think I'm harsh? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, you're supposed That's to. That's our role. That's our role. <laughs> you're so, condemning sin. How do you think people are going to feel about and, it? And Steve, he says, this is meant for both obvious sinners and false saints. What are meant by, what do you think he means here by obvious sinners and false saints? Well, I think obvious sinners is obvious. You have people who are overtly committing some sort of sin. You know, that, that is some very vice. obvious. Yeah, some, some sort of vice or something like that. And false saints are those who think of themselves a little bit holier than thou, you know, or, or think more highly of themselves. I think that this is probably, in some sense, the more important work of the gospel is that it not only just crushes you, but it also decimates you mean the, of the law. Or of the law, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I don't, don't yeah, confuse. Yeah, shoo. Okay. <laughs> so we had a heretic among us. Yes, for a right, 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 right. We'll back that up. I meant law. One of the, I know one what of the, you meant. One of the benefits of the law, you know, is that it just decimates the idea that we can do anything or that we have anything to contribute. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's the real goal, you know, that you can bring nothing to the table. Why does God do this to us? Why do we need this hammering of the law? I, without it, we we are naturally creatures of the law. We think that we can do this on our own. I mean, that's the way non-believers look at things, is that if I'm going to do something, I have to earn it. What do you mean by the law here? Well, by the law, I guess, narrowly speaking, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Which, know, which guess, in summary, how did Jesus summarize the Ten Commandments? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and also love your neighbor as yourself. You by know. what you do and by what you don't do. Right, right. Yeah. So so God sets out the right way for us to live. That's his law. Right. Which says, love God, your creator. Uh, listen to his word. Honor set apart time to listen to his word. Uh, honor his name. Uh, honor the parents that he gives you. Treat your neighbors with respect, their person and their property and their reputation. And... Uh, and, and I think that's a good way to live, but we don't do it. Well, and I think it's also helpful to remember <clears throat> to put that law in the context of what creation and human beings were meant to be in the first yeah. place. Because it, it, the law, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, we talk about the law, people then, oh, so here's some things I got to do. Well, no, it's really, it starts out being descriptive. In other words, you're describing how God created us to be holy. It's his but then the good problem, design for us. It's a, Right. It, it all was supposed to fit together. There shouldn't be any problems. Uh, and then sin came into the world. So the twofold preaching of that law and the con- condemning sin is in the context of, but he created us to be holy. He created a perfect world. He created where everything 
was going to go well. But when sin came into the world, it also is not just, here's something that you have to follow and be good about, but it's much deeper than that. It is a total contradiction of what creation itself was supposed to be. We're turned in on ourselves. We're we're, we're becoming enemies of God, not listening to his word. We want to be our own God. That's really the origin And I think that's what, that's the, the, the beauty of the language that's used here. He's the thunderbolt. <clears throat> uh, when I lived out west, you could always see the storms rolling yeah. in because there's so much open space. And, and just that nature of the earth is just there, and you watch these massive lightning yeah. bolts just come down and... It was just the power of God through the law will always end up being destructive to the sinful world. And we need that old sinful nature crushed and put to death. So we come to the end of ourselves and realize we need something that we ain't got. Exactly. And that's where we come now to the gospel. Well, first, Go ahead. but I also want to add then in that same uh, paragraph too, where he moves from the thunderbolt, so the crushing, devastating nature of the law, destroying all of creation because it's become so unholy. And then for the believer, for the person who lives in this world, it does drive us to utter terror and despair. And I think for the, the, the faithful preacher, the faithful Christian, the, the father who's raising their children, um, to be able to taste that terror and despair um, then gives us uh, the context of why and how comforting the gospel has to be mm-hmm. because our terror and despair is so great. It's like that moment, uh, sometimes on television or movie, you see at that moment where the, uh, the person realizes, uh-oh, I've been caught. Mm-hmm. And you, 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 the dreaded look in their eyes and on their face that now the crushing law is going to come, about, uh, come upon them. Well, it's even worse than that because this is the total wrath of God pouring out onto someone, mm-hmm. the very creator of all that we see. Now, we're going to talk about repentance and whether it's a repentance of just getting caught we're going to look, we're going to look at a couple of terms, attrition and contrition, uh, because sometimes people will apologize if they get caught, only because they got caught. But first, let's get to the gospel. So God uses the law to bring us to the end of ourselves so that now we can hear God's next word, which is the gospel. And let me read paragraphs 4 through 6. But to this office of the law, the New Testament immediately adds the consoling promise of grace through the gospel. This must be believed. As Christ declares, repent and believe in the gospel, Mark 1.15. That is, become different, act differently, and believe my promise. John the Baptist, preceding Christ, is called a preacher of repentance, but this is for the forgiveness of sins. That is, John was to accuse all and convict them of being sinners. This is so they can know what they are before God and acknowledge that they are lost, so they can be prepared for the Lord to receive grace and to expect and accept from him the forgiveness of sins. This is what Christ himself says, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name to all nations. That's in Luke 24, verse 47. So, gentlemen, what is the relationship here between the law and the gospel? 
the relationship between repentance and forgiveness. I'm using repentance as the effect of the law, forgiveness as the result of the gospel. So what is the relationship? How do they work together? Well, I think the the law is that diagnostic tool that identifies what the problem is. It's like you're going to a doctor and you get a diagnosis. Exactly. You got a, you've got this terrible disease. Right, exactly. And you need to know that. Right, because without it, you don't know you're sick. Yeah. And, and you don't know that you're going to need a cure. And so what ends up happening is that it is that law that, that drives you to an understanding that you are sick and that you need a cure for this, and the gospel is the cure. Right. Jesus says I, that the, the, he came for those those who think they're healthy don't think they need a doctor, but he is the exactly. physician of the soul for those who realize their need. And I think the um, <clears throat> a, a Lutheran preaching of this distinction along gospel, it is it is an it is more of a existential ontological reality. Oh, you got uh, some big words. Um, so in other words, it's it's a state that I am in. So that uh, earlier where they said that that you must be driven by the law to the true sorrow of heart, the suffering, the sensation of death that I deserve, and how it engulfs you completely. And so I it's always, not just an academic exercise on top right. of your head. It actually is dealing with your whole person. Right, because it's not, it's not a logical, reasonable formula that we're trying to put together. So if I get the formula right, I'll be okay with God. Because that then falls back into turning it into an active understanding of repentance and attrition and those kinds of things. But rather realizing that my, my, the disgusting state that I am in as a sinner. Um, then when you move to the gospel, the reason why then the gospel must be preached with such purity is because uh, Christ then grabs you, takes hold of you as you're running away in your sin. And he converts you by the power of the Holy Spirit, and now he moves you into another state and a condition of being a saved child of God, where where finally there is the soothing, cooling waters for being burned so badly. So the law is the law is supposed to put you to death, right? And the gospel then raises you from death to new life in Christ. Well, it kind of gets back to kind of a um, a proper definition of sin. And how we look at it, because unfortunately, I think what happens is that people think in terms of repentance, they do want to itemize. Well, I did this, I did this, I did this. We're going to get to that yeah. in this article. Right, yeah. I told me to steal your thunder. You know, but, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, that's that's the, the you know knowing that the problem is us. It's yeah. not what we do. Right. And, and instead of having an understanding of you know, hey, I'm sorry, bro. Okay, hug. And I think that's all there is to it. But it's it's. It, but you're right. It's it's the whole understanding of the devastating nature of and the sin, gospel. That is what God has done and to then pure, remedy this. A pure resurrection that only God can do. And how does He do that through Christ? How has He done that through Christ to to raise us from the dead well, and through, to forgive our sins? It is through His death and resurrection that we receive the forgiveness of sins, and we receive this by faith. All right. Yeah. So what Christ did on the cross to be our substitute, to pay the punishment exactly. for our sins, and then God validating that by raising him from the dead, and we get to share in his victory. Right. It's the beauty of that vicarious satisfaction where God takes the place of the sinner. He actually exchanges uh, his life for my life, and, and God then sends him to hell, pours out his wrath and punishes his, him, makes Christ the one who is sorrowful of heart, the suffering, and actually dies. And so, therefore, God himself died for those sins and, in my stead. And, and therefore, the punishment has been served, 
and you are declared not guilty. Exactly. And when you're baptized into Christ, you share in his death and resurrection, and you will be raised from the dead bodily, just as Jesus was raised from the dead on Easter Day. And then the Stanley Cup shows up, and then we have to oh, did I go back to... That is going to be the crown of life that we are going to inherit, and our cup will runneth over. Well, we so we don't runneth over this segment. Uh, Ian, I think we're ready for our break now. We'll be back in a couple minutes. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for me. Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. God willing, we are having live programs during this week, including Wednesday's Bible study. We once more will be taking a look at a portion of the Bible to help explain it from a law gospel point of view for the comfort of our hearers. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 930 on KFUO. Listening to KFUO on your smartphone is so easy to do. Smartphone assistant, play KFUO. Playing KFUO radio. You can also visit the place where you get your apps and download the KFUO app. You can also go to the KFUO homepage. Wow, the KFUO homepage is customized to fit your phone with an easy-to-find listening button. When you're on the webpage, you can browse for more information. You can listen to KFUO 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. Don't forget about Facebook, facebook.com slash KFUO radio. Now you're just acting like a Blaise Pascal, born on this day in 1623, was a scientific prodigy, developing breakthrough theories in geometry, probability, and hydraulics, and credited with inventing the wristwatch and first calculating device, which some call the first computer. All the while, this man of science was also exploring the spiritual world. He wrote about reason, philosophy, religion, and religious controversy. After his death, his defense of the Christian faith called Thoughts was published. He discussed Jesus as well as the Bible, prophecies, and miracles. When this genius of the 17th century died at the age of 39, a document now called the Memorial was found sewn inside the lining of his coat, on which he had written a short work of religious imagery and Bible verses including from Psalm 119, I will not forget thy words. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. We are back on Concord Matters. We're looking at 
The Schmall Called Articles, Part 3, Article 3 on Repentance. Uh, I'm your host, Pastor Charles Henriksen, along with two fellow pastors, Mark Sell and Steve Reardon. And uh, we are talking about the uh, article here on repentance. We've been talking about the distinction of law and gospel. And uh, we also invite your participation today. Toll-free number in, a, in the USA, 800-730-2727. Locally in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Our email address, kfuo at kfuo. Org. And you could always visit us at our churches at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton, Missouri. You've got to get that extra plug in there. OurSaviorLCS.org. <laughs> and we also have a summer program. So uh, you children two, on your, two years on up, you could come for a week, you could come for a day, you could sign up for the whole summer. It's really a great opportunity for parents to get a break or working moms and dads to have their children be part of a Christian summer camp program. And, and if you want to go a little bit south of St. Louis to St. Matthew and Bonterre, stmatthewbt.org, we have Word and Sacrament every Sunday. Uh, we, our Bible class right now, we just started the book of Revelation. And, and I, won't be, I won't be so crass as to plug St. Paul's Wildwood <laughs> and beautiful Wildwood just by Babbler State Park on Highway 109. A nice Sunday drive. Oh, nice you're Sunday you're drive. so humble, Steve. Yeah. You're so humble. I yes, exactly, exactly. All right, let's get back to our task at hand. And uh, we're in this article. We're going to go to paragraphs 7 and 8. Whenever the law alone exercises its office... Without the gospel being added, there is nothing but death and hell. And one must despair, as Saul and Judas did. St. Paul says, through sin the law kills. On the other hand, the gospel brings consolation and forgiveness. It does so not just in one way, but through the word and the sacraments and the like, as we will discuss later. As Psalm 130, verse 7 says, against the dreadful captivity of sin, with the Lord is plentiful redemption. So, uh, Mark Sell, this sounds like God is not just, his ultimate goal is not to cause us despair or to kill us. Right, he doesn't want to That's destroy us. That's not his ultimate us. goal. Right, he doesn't want us to be burning in the wrath and suffering. That's what the law does to us. But in order for his gospel and his love to be made known to us, Christ had to do his work and fulfill that law for us. And so the, then the beauty of that is that is the pure gospel where we don't mix it in with our works. We don't mix it in with our desires. It's God coming from outside of us. Uh, it, it's like the, the bottles of water we have sitting before us. He gives us the glass, faith, and he pours the forgiveness of sins, the waters of forgiveness and mercy into that glass. And that creates and grows the new Adam. It's all the work of God, and that's what brings consolation in the forgiveness of sin. So now the person who's been burned, who's been sorrowful, who's been fighting in life, who feels destroyed and downtrodden, it, it's this uh, passage from Psalm 130 where the hope, oh Israel, the hope is in the Lord. The Lord is steadfast in his love. He is steadfast. He is unrelenting, unrelenting in his forgiveness and mercy and love towards us. It's that steadfast love God has for us that has provided the plenteous redemption. Total and complete redemption. Nothing's left. There isn't, you're forgiven, now you better get to work or you're not going to be forgiven enough. Mm -hmm. There's none of that. So we can talk about two distinct works of God. Both are necessary. 
The law, God uses the law to kill us, to put us to death. We call that his alien work. That's not his primary goal. It's his alien work, his opus alienum in the Latin, and his opus proprium, his proper work, is to bring us to life. Any any further thought on that, Steve? Well, I mean, I think that's a good distinction, and this is what we try, strive to, particularly in the Lutheran Church, is to make sure that we're not confusing these two, because the law is never the answer to sin. It's never do more, try harder. You know, that is that is not the answer. The answer is always Christ and the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, this plays into the article on repentance, as Luther is now going to talk about the the wrong understanding, the wrong practice of repentance that was promoted by the Roman Catholic Church of his day. And that's where we go next in uh, paragraph 9 and following. And it is still promoted. And it's still, it is still the, yes. It is still to this day the theology of right. the Roman Catholic Church. I want to just start, though, with right, right. where Luther was. And we can see, not just in the Roman Catholic Church, but really in any church, you could you could have a uh, an off-kilter uh, teaching on this. Yeah, exactly. Even, among even, even in our own daily lives. We, you might have people who think the, the wrong way about this. We like to think highly of ourselves, even yeah. the converted. All right. So, paragraph 9 and following. However, we now have to contrast the false repentance of the sophists with true repentance in order that both may be understood better. And now the next heading is the false repentance of the papists. And we're going to explain this in a moment. But let me read paragraph 10. It was impossible for them to teach correctly about repentance since they did not know what sin really is. As has been shown above, they do not believe correctly about original sin. Rather, they say that the natural powers of human beings have remained unimpaired and uncorrupted. They believe that reason can teach correctly so that the will can do what is right And God certainly bestows his grace when a person does as much as he can, according to his free will. So we've got a couple terms here, sophists and papists. Now, Steve Erding, you used to be a papist, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm a blues fan. Okay. Oh, well, that makes up. What is meant by papist here? A follower of the teachings of Rome. There's some act of attrition. Right, right. A Roman Roman Catholic. Catholic. Right, exactly. Followers of the Pope, basically. Followers of the Pope. I mean, it's kind of a derogatory term. It is. I mean, and when he used sophists as well, it's meant derogatorily. What is meant by sophistry or sophist? It was office that that was a, a like a specific kind of teaching that was done in ancient Greece, um, where it was really high on just the whole idea of philosophy and rhetoric, wisdom, <clears throat> man's exactly. own wisdom and reason. Exactly, we think of Aristotle and Plato. Plato, when we think of these things, you know, and what's ended up happening by the time you get to Luther is that really became the foundational approach to theology. In the late Middle Ages, in the late right. medieval period, there was a group of Roman Catholic theologians called the Scholastics. Right. Who and 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 Luther here is paraphrasing one of their teachings. Um and it has to do with their error on what man what powers man still has after the fall into sin. They really underestimate the impact of original sin. And what Luther here is paraphrasing is um, that the natural man, that God certainly bestows his grace when a person does as much as he can. 
Now, I, I really looked into the Heidelberg Disputation and Luther's um, uh, essay against scholastic theology uh, in the last couple of years, in the last year. And there was a saying that the scholastics had, which was, to the one who does that which is within him, God does not deny grace. That's what Luther is alluding to here. If you just do the best you can, God's going to, you may not have faith, but if you just try your best, God will reward you with some grace, and maybe that'll get you going. Well, the modern-day version of that is if you're sincere. Okay. You know, I mean, that's what we use today. Everybody talks about, well, if they're sincere. They're a good person. Yeah, but do you really mean it, though? Do you really mean that? Yeah. Now, what do we mean by original sin here? It sounds like Luther's saying that the the papists, the sophists, the scholastics underestimated uh, original sin. They didn't really think that damned people. Well, it it coincides with... um, a classic historical error that somehow the light of Christ was still in mankind. That when Adam fell, it wasn't a total, complete corruption of everything that mankind is, that the human being truly is. And they believed that there was still a little spark of divinity that exists in every person. Scholastic uh, and Aristotelian distinctions grab that and philosophically, it became this idea of wanting to fan that little spark that is in every human being so that you could do good. And when it became an ecclesiastical notion, what moved in then, the, um, the, the, the church grabbed that and said, see, there's some good in us. And, and this is how the whole uh, Roman Catholic system of penance really ended up into this roaring fire of good works because the Roman Catholic Church believes we're going to take that little spark, we're going to fan it. So that's part of your goodwill. That is part of your free will that you're still good. So we're going to really blow that out of proportion and get you to get better and better and better. And it encroached upon, uh, it ended up encroaching upon the work of Jesus Christ as well as ended up becoming a denial of original sin and the, concu- yeah. the concupiscence, the, the uttered destruction of the, of the goodness of mankind. And the sin. inherited tendency that all human beings have to sin before you do this or that particular sin. You, 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 because you are a sinner, you will do sins. It's your job description. Yeah. You don't have to teach a little child how to sin. They will do that naturally. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so they they underestimated uh, uh, the 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 lostness condition of man under original sin. It, it's a way to, to to so the person can grasp that every thought, word, and deed is sin. Every thought, word, and deed is holy. What makes the difference? Law or gospel? Mm-hmm. You know, so that every even even the thoughts, the the motivation in your heart, the the thoughts in your head, the emotions, the feelings, they're all condemned by the law. When in grace and forgiveness now has cleansed you, then God looks at the work of Christ, and now every thought, word, and deed is holy by faith in Christ. If the, it's done according to God's ten commands, because we Christians uh, still even if do it's sin. not, even if it's not. Well, we're forgiven, but that. But if I went out and uh, uh, robbed a, a convenience store, that is not a good work. It is a sin that is forgiven. Oh, I see what you mean. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So yeah. the good you works have to be in accord with you God's You ran down commands. a couple steps down the road on Okay, me. all right. Gotcha, gotcha, right. Now, right. what you talked about, we're getting at, is not just 
extreme outward deeds, but even extending to our heart, to our thoughts, our uh, intent. And that comes up now in paragraph 11. According to that dogma, meaning the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, (laughs) they, they need to do penance only for actual sins. Those would include only the evil thoughts that a person yields to, or evil words and evil deeds that free will could easily have prevented. According to these people, wicked emotions, lust, and improper attitudes are not sins. How are they minimizing sin and sins according to this system? They're minimizing what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. Exactly. That even if you look lustfully at someone, you are guilty of breaking the sixth commandment. That's just the way this works. Yeah. You know, so so we, are, we are sinners in thought, word, and deed. The scribes and Pharisees thought that if, as long as they can look like they're keeping the outward extreme acts in order, that they're okay. Right, exactly. They're better than the bad people. Exactly. I, I think a modern version of this is uh, is people who will do things, and it must be right because I'm doing it to the glory of God. To me, that is a, that is a modern way that people pretend that what they are doing is righteous and good in God's sight because, well, I'm doing it to the glory of God. Uh, so what I do, you have to accept my behavior, my actions, uh, my plans, um, because I'm doing it to the glory of God, as if that somehow is going to make the deed itself, like you pointed out earlier, good and right. There's a guy running for president right now, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, uh, uh, a proud homosexual, and he thinks he's a Christian. He thinks he's doing this for the glory of God. Does he run for president of the Senate? No, not president of the Senate. <laughs> oh, Come oh, out. oh, oh. Gee whiz. <laughs> We're not that far down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't have to show that. So, Didn't see that curve coming, did you? <laughs> he, he can claim he's a Christian doing this for the glory of God, but God's word clearly states what you're engaged in and proud of is uh, contrary to God's design. Right. Right, so, and and people when if they think that is that your intent because your intent is to do it to the glory of God, that's going to cleanse my sins. Yeah. So, All right. Go ahead. So so it's not just actual sins that you can count and number. It extends to our thoughts, our souls, our being uh, that is a, a, a sinful nature, and that's that what that's needs what really, to be atoned for. That's what really condemns you is the thoughts. And whenever I'm taking somebody through adult instruction and we cover what exactly sin is and we go into this, that it's their thoughts that condemn them as well. That's where people always pause because it's like, oh, you mean as long as I don't, you know, actually go out and commit adultery with another wife. Exactly. You know, I'm guilty of something. And it's like, absolutely. And it's not just what we actively do wrong. It's what we fail to do right. Exactly. Like the priest and the Levite who walked around the guy beat up on the road. They they were not being a good neighbor to that guy beat up on the road. Right. So, yeah, sins of omission, sins of commission. Now, going back to then the Roman Catholic system uh, uh, of what they considered repentance. Paragraph 12. They divide repentance into three parts. Contrition, confession, and satisfaction. They add this consolation and promise. 
If a person truly confesses and renders satisfaction, he merits forgiveness. He has paid for his sins before God, so even in repentance, they taught people to put confidence in their own works. So, uh, Steve Erdin, what are the three parts here that uh, Luther says that the Roman Catholic Church considers as repentance contrition confession and making satisfaction for your own sin what we've talked a little bit about contrition uh here yeah simply simply put i think contrition is being sorry for it yeah Yeah. and and the roman catholics would make distinctions between true contrition where you're really sorry for your sins and then you're just sorry you got caught Right. Which is like attrition. That's right. that's okay, but it's much better if you can do real, really sorrowful for your sins. Right. So that that's according to the Roman Church. That is contrition, and then confession is confession is confessing to a priest, penance, Pen, you know, and saying, well, the whole confessional thing, you know, confessing yeah. your sin to a person, and then doing penance after that is really the satisfaction. To you make know. it up. Right, right. I mean, I remember back in the day when I was a papist, as you like to call me, <laughs> uh, going to confession as a kid. What did the priest and, tell you? Well, I mean, you'd, you'd confess your sins, you know, you know, whatever they were. They were typically fairly benign, to be honest. Because um, you didn't want them to know what you really thought. That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. exactly. But right. you had to come up with something. You had to come up with something. You were there. Um, and then your conf- your repent or I'm sorry your penance would end up being something like go say you know Five twelve hill marys or whatever you know and and that what was- impression did that give to people or to you? Well, what- I can say growing up that you know I kind of felt like it was punching the card. Yeah, uh, this is what you had I to do your obligation, I'd do my obligation, and, and then move on my way. And it was just you like you could figure out okay seven times in the last. Two weeks, I've sinned. I mean, I can name right, them, right? And if I confess them, I get forgiven. But then I got to do a little something to right work to, off to some seal of the, the deal. I got to work it off. All right, exactly. Yeah. The All right. Cla- the classic notion I think was revealed in uh, Saturday Night Fever and how they viewed Catholicism. I missed that one. How did it? When, did how did, how was oh, that? Okay, never mind. If you guys still forget, well, I bet a lot of our audience has seen that. Oh, movie. okay, yeah, because uh, in in that whole that disco scene and everything, where everything was an outward appearance, and even um, when uh, Tony went home to his family and his brother became a priest, and how he was uh, he was uh, almost worshipped by the family and whatnot, and then they put on everything was okay, what would Father Joey say? What would, you know, and, and so, all right, did you do it? Did you go to, I'll go to confession tomorrow. And then they go out and then live it up and, okay. you know, engage of all kinds of debauchery. That's all right. I'm going to go back to the priest tomorrow. I'm going to talk to, you know, my brother, Father Joey, about it. You now, know? by the way, listeners, uh, the Lutheran Church did not get rid of private confession. Correct. We kept it. We just fixed the problems with it. Correct. Even though it's not used that much, we still retain private confession. We just fixed where it got off track there. And that's what Luther's going to get into here, where it got off track. All right. So um, their consolation isn't much of a consolation, is it? Uh, You know, uh, uh, that you have to pay for your own sins and put confidence in your own works. Well, that doesn't give me too much certainty or confidence or consolation, in my opinion. All right, let's look at paragraphs 13 and 14. This is where the expression comes comes from that was used in the pulpit when public absolution was announced to the people. 
Prolong, O God, my life until I can make satisfaction for my sins and amend my life. There was here no mention of Christ and faith. People hope to overcome and blot out sins before God by their own works. With this intention, we became priests and monks so we could protect ourselves against sin. So you can see how all these practices fed into one another. The system of penance and making satisfaction. And then how are you going to make it up? Well, get a religious vocation. Maybe you can withdraw from the temptations of the world and maybe you can earn some points with God. Uh, but what was lacking in this Roman system of uh, of repentance and satisfaction? What is mi- missing here big time? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> but he is, and completely, the, the total focus is back on you. And whenever you interject yourself into the plan of salvation, you are by nature interjecting doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just... Have really you ever done... Have I done enough? Have you done enough? And how do you know when you've done enough? And if you think you've done enough, then you're in worse trouble. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think when um, the in, in paragraph 13, the, the phrase that came that was referred to prolong oh God my life until I can make satisfaction for my sins and amend my life. So you, you drive people into a, a, a hopeless situation that I just hope I could live long enough so I can make it up to God. And if you don't, and it's such then despair. there's a plan B <laughs> purgatory, purgatory where somebody can have a mass said for you or buy some indulgences to shorten your work it off detention period, huh? Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Paragraph 15. And here we get to the the numbering here. Uh, Paragraph 15. As for contrition, this is how it was done. No one could remember all his sins, especially those committed over an entire year. You know, they had to go at least once a year, I suppose. Now, how are you supposed to remember all your sins? So they inserted this provision. If an unknown sin is remembered later, it too has to be repented of and confessed and so on. Until then, the person was commended to God's grace. This is what we call the enumeration of sins. Uh, And this is one of the abuses of of penance that the Lutherans uh, sought to correct. What is wrong with... Now, when you if if you were to go to confession to your pastor... It's a good thing if you have some particular sins that are troubling you that you confess. But what is the problem here with this idea of the required enumeration of sins? Either one of you want to tackle that. Well, that you have to do an accounting. Yeah, that you have to have a, 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 an a accurate record. You have to have one heck of a spreadsheet. Yeah, you really would. I mean, I, I mean, I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, and I'm supposed to remember all the sins that I've committed over the course of a day? And it, Thought, word, and deed? So that's loading loading guilt and and torment on you and in an ironical way it's actually minimizing sin right like you've only committed 53 sins in the last week right it's only the ones that you can number it's it's why the you can see the trap that was set by the devil was to convince the church um in in the the uh, the roman catholic theology to push people into a metric what is your metric of your sin today? What is your number? Um, and because then what it ends up doing, and then this is what I think most pastors and and 
and, and lay people will witness when they have close uh, Catholic friends is that you, you're going to end up spending more time counting up your sins than ever being comforted by the gospel. And, and, and the gospel finally just gets completely eked out and pushed out of your life. And this is why it, it's such a popular and great joke when we talk about the Catholic guilt, you know, the, because you can never stop counting, you mm-hmm. know, and that's exactly what Luther went through. Uh, no matter how much you try to withdraw from your own life, from your own family, from anything in the real world, to tr- so that you could somehow avoid sin, then you end up counting more and more and more. And, it, and that's why it's the, it becomes this, this pure law and pure gospel, because the pure law, you're never going to stop counting. Mm-hmm. And the only way to stop counting is let Christ take that number, because only God could take that kind of eternal sin and deal with it and pay for it yeah, well, and, and bring again, that pure forgiveness in. Yeah, and it gets back to what I said in the first half of the program, that the issue is you. The issue is what's going on with you as a sinful human being, not the various things that you've done. All those are just, that, that is just the evidence. That's the symptoms of the disease. Exactly, it's the symptoms of the disease, you know, that, and it's the disease that I have. I need to repent of me. But I think it's also important that if there are particular sins that are weighing on your conscience, sins against your neighbor, it's good to go ask for his forgiveness, confess it to him. If there, are, if you are troubled in your conscience, go to your pastor and uh, uh, seek the, the comfort of the gospel. That's a good thing. Absolutely, it, it is. But I think that when it overshadows the idea of what the real problem is, yeah. Then you have a problem, yeah, because it, it leads you to believe that again you can minimize it or itemize it in some sort of way. And what's going to end up happening is you're always going to figure out a way to water it down so the 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 the, the sin is not really sin. Okay, this kind of circles back to the point that I was trying to make earlier. It is it is your existence itself that is that evil, mm-hmm. right? As as a sinner. Right. Not as someone who commits sins, right. but as a sinner, which is why you have to have someone holy and perfect, God himself, to take your place and fill up that void with his mercy and grace. Now, we are the messenger of good news, and we don't want to end in the pits of despair here. So if we cannot find certainty and consolation in our own enumerating of our sins, where can we look, Pastor Reardon, to find solid, true unshakable consolation and comfort what we could not do god did through jesus christ his son by him going to the cross as you stated earlier by him going to the cross and paying the punishment for our sin paying the price we look to that and that is where the forgiveness is found in the gospel is through what christ has has done for us and not what we do for ourselves and there is pure certainty there, right, Pastor Sal? Total and complete. It, it's, uh, we fall into the trap when we talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper and, and forgiveness. We fall into a trap if we think, well, I get baptized and that's it. No, your whole life now has been immersed in the forgiveness that the water God brings. soaks us in his forgiveness. And go to church this Sunday and receive that forgiveness. Uh, you can find your church near you at lcms.org or in fact at oursaviorlcs.org all right (laughs) you've been listening to concord matters here on kfuo had to get one more in